Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Scott Harvath Podcast. What's new this week, Mike? Dude, I am over the moon that we are finally getting to share this extraordinary hour we spent with Brad Thor. Hour and a half. Hour and a half, really? Yeah, what a generous, generous guy. And he wanted to keep going, but we one, we didn't want to take up more of his time late. We were like the last on his uh of his de- uh, interview of the day during his press tour junket, and we we got to save some content for the next time we come on. We can't ask him all of our questions, but he was super kind. Honestly, probably one of our best, if not the best, interview we've had. Sorry to all of our other guests, but it was just fucking amazing. We were vibing the entire oh, absolutely. time. Absolutely, maybe the best episode period on the <laughs> No be. Limits podcast. Could be. It just might be. It just. I mean, Pappy was poured, dude. Come on. Pappy Van Winkle was poured. That's huge. You guys are in for a treat. So wait, before we get into our interview with Brad, we have something to do, Mike. Well, tell, tell them what we got. You know, I was in such a good mood with this interview, and we're already giving away signed copies of Brad Thor books to our patrons. So this time we thought we would open up a giveaway to all of our listeners Anybody listening right now has a chance to win a signed copy of a Brad Thor book of their choosing. We've got Spymaster, The Athena Project, Act of War, The Apostle, Code of Conduct, First Commandment, Full Black, Foreign Influence, and Hidden Order. Any one of those, winner's choice, can be yours, signed by Brad. All you've got to do to enter is retweet our official giveaway post. So when we post this interview, we will definitely mention the giveaway. Go ahead, retweet that, share it with a friend. Every person that you tag, every friend you tag, we will count as an extra entry for you into the giveaway. Then also, you can get an extra entry if you give us a comment, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Or Spotify. Or Spotify, just be sure in your review to put your social media handle so we know to count your review as an entry into the Brad Thor giveaway. Feeling generous here on the the old Brad Thor, Scott Harvath podcast, man. We got a lot from Brad. We got to give something back to the people. Yes. And in addition to this, we're also covering The Terminalist by Jack Carr over on our other feed. So be sure to check out No Limits, the Thriller podcast. Got tons of Terminalist and Jack Carr content over there. So subscribe, like, and review that podcast as well. And keep coming back here for more Brad Thor content. Busy week here on the first week of July. That it is. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed this interview as much as we did. Today, we welcome an extremely special guest. A man who needs no introduction. And because of that, I'll do a different type of introduction. Brad Thor, welcome to the podcast. I have a limerick for you. (laughs) I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you, Michael and Chris. This is great. I've been looking forward to doing this with you. Well, let me kick it off. We appreciate you. So Mike does this thing. It's a little no limits tradition. Every special guest, we read one to Kyle Mills. Jack Carr, so now you get your very own Brad Thor, No Limits Podcast Limerick. All right. There once was an author named Brad Thor. Heart and soul in his works, never a bore. Thus adventures began with Scott, our main man. To him, a sip of bourbon, we pour. (laughs) That's good. What kind of bourbon do you have there, Michael? Well, there's a little story to it. I got the Bookers. It's Bookers. I was going to say, it looks like Bookers. I got the Tagalong batch from 2021. Nice. What are you drinking, Chris? I'm drinking, uh, so Mike got that for us when we finished uh, season one on uh, the Vince Flynn books, but he he kept it all for himself. So I'm just drinking lowly Blanton's. I broke out my Blanton's tonight. So That's good stuff. Now, we're recording this, and I can see you guys, but are the listeners – is there going to be a video component of this for the listeners? Like if I get up and go to my bar and pour a bourbon, is that going to disrupt like our flow and stuff? Because I've got my AirPods, so we can keep talking oh, while yeah, I go no, grab a uh, glass and stuff. Are yeah, we cool if I yourself. pour one? We encourage it. Yeah, we Go for it. it. We do encourage right, so. it. Can you give us a play-by-play though? The play-by-play. Well, first got to find a clean glass. That's Yes. <laughs> yes. 
that's the that's the first thing. All right, I got a glass. It's not clean, and I am like halfway across my office, and I've got a sink back here behind everything. So isn't this wow? This is the most glamorous podcast I think I've done for the release of Rising Tiger. You guys get to hear the sink running as I. I mean, it's only been bourbon in the glass, right? So how bad could it be? It probably doesn't need to be rinsed out. You know, you're a man of the people. It's raw. It's 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 what they want. Give the fans what they want. Yeah. So there's my there's my glass. So I've got what Scott Harvath and his team drink in Rising Tiger, wow. which is a bottle oh, of Happy Van Winkle. Yes. And I think because you guys are doing such a big special deal with this podcast and the Scott Harvath books. I think I'm going to I'm going to set I like the Woodford Reserve but I love my Pappy and I only drink it on special occasions so I think I'm going to pour a little Pappy Van Winkle to enjoy oh, wow. with you. Wow. As we do this. So Brad, you don't even know how much that means to me. Oh. <laughs> that is well, I'm tearing you guys up are over the, here. We got the Pappy. Uh, listen, and I opened it because my brother visited me a couple of weeks ago, Scott with one T cuz Scott Harvath is named after right. my brother. The name's and you. um and I thought, you know, why am I going to leave this beautiful bottle here uh, forever waiting for a special occasion when having my brother visit me from Chicago should be a special occasion. So there we go. I always put a little bit of water in uh, yes. or an ice cube, and I don't have an ice maker in my office. So it's going to be a little very cold, icy water out of my growler here. This play-by-play is fantastic. And we'll see if we can stretch this for 45 minutes. <laughs> I probably already burned five just by doing the setup to get the drink, right? So sorry about that, everybody. All right, now I'm ready. It's worth it. You okay. up me because my glasses were dirty, so I turned to the mason jar, which I don't know if that's proper, you know. But I've got mason jars. My, my dad and my stepmom, when we moved down to Nashville, got us monogram mason jars. So I have, a, I have a whole bunch of mason jars for, you know, ice water or drinks or whatever. And it's got a tea uh, etched in the glass. So we're, we're big mason jar people down here in Nash Vegas. So. All right. Well, cheers. 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 Yes. All right. To Rising Tiger. Tiger. Thank you. Yep. Well, we, we definitely want to get into Rising Tiger. Killed it out of the park. Really good. Oh, thank you. If you don't mind, before we get into that, though, we, you know, obviously we're dedicating all of season two to your books, uh, to, you to the character Scott Harvath. Uh, so, you know, this is the first time on the pod. So we have we have some questions uh, that we'd like to, you know, just some general, you know, information about you, some questions we had. Ask away. When we had, um, you know, our first season was all about Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills. When we had Kyle on, mm-hmm. one of the first questions we asked them was, you know, what makes... Uh, a Kyle Mills novel, a Kyle Mills novel. And so obviously mm-hmm. we want to ask you what makes, we, we think we know, well, we, we, we think we know, but you know, you can tell okay. us better. What makes a Brad Thor novel, a Brad Thor novel? All right. So there's a couple of things. Uh, I call what I do faction where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. Uh, I think one of the hallmarks of a Brad Thor novel is that the action starts on page one and I am normally setting my uh, my novels against a, a big geopolitical set piece, right? So there's a big thing happening somewhere in the world. Uh, it creates a problem and Harvath is the answer to that problem. So uh, I would say action starts on page one, uh, short, crisp, cinematic chapters. Uh, and I like to end each chapter such that you want to keep going, kind of like you can't eat just one Pringle out of the can, right? You're going to keep right. grabbing another and another and another. So uh, sense of humor mixed in there, not too much, uh, but when appropriate, because a lot of the guys that I know that are downrange, it's the sense of humor, the kind of gallows humor that gets them through it. I don't know a single person that does the stuff that Harvet does that doesn't have like kind of a dark, very sick sense of humor not very sick but a dark sense of humor which i think is a a hallmark of a of a very intelligent person uh, dumb people don't have dark senses of humor they're not capable of processing humor uh that's super dark like that so that's always been a hallmark of high intelligence and harvath is a really smart guy so are the other operators Definitely. that he works with um so that'd be some stuff right off the bat that i would say about the novels all that happens in this book for sure and Scott even gets a little partner for a lot of his antics and jokes, which is really fun with the character of VJ. Mm-hmm. But would you also say, and we call them Thorisms on the podcast, and this happened mm-hmm. from book one all the way now into 21, traveling. Travel, locations, yeah. and setting, to me, is a hallmark of 
not just your writing, but also your life. And I love how you infuse that. And we've mentioned your traveling light series on the podcast. We love those old travel shows. We made a podcast segment we use with every book called Traveling Heavy, because Scott is traveling heavy. <laughs> always, sure. always traveling heavy. We like to document where he goes around the world. And so in this book, you're in a whole new area in yeah. India. And that's something new, something different, I'd imagine, not just for Scott, but also yourself in doing research and writing. Yep, absolutely. Uh you know, it's interesting because the opening chapter of, uh, and we've released uh, the first two chapters uh, as sample chapters people can read of Rising Tiger. And then we put out a substantial chunk of what follows that uh, as an audio excerpt. So you can actually listen to, so there were two chapters and then Harvath appears in the third chapter and then is there for several after that. You can listen to the audio version of it, which was a, uh, it's the longest audio segment we've ever released. It's over 20 minutes, which was really cool that Simon and Schuster Audio wanted to do that. Um, but yeah, I, two summers ago, June of 2020, high up in the Alps, uh, Chinese soldiers crept across the Alps, Himalayas, sorry, uh, I'm thinking lines of Lucerne and I've got, uh, I've got the Swiss Alps on the brain. Uh, but so the Chinese soldiers creep over the Himalayas into India. And there is a rule that goes back to 1996, which is you can't use firearms in this region. So it's like walking dead. The Chinese soldiers come across with iron rods studded with spikes and baseball bats wrapped with concertina wire and barbed wire and stuff. And it was in real life, a very brutal, bloody hand-to-hand six-hour melee, something out of uh, the Middle Ages. And it was just just terrible. And when I had heard about it, read about it, I was like, this is really fascinating that the Chinese would do this and that this would happen. And the more I looked into this part of the world, I was like, wow, there's a lot going on, a lot of espionage in New Delhi. And um, India, during the lockdowns and COVID, I took stock of how much stuff we rely on that comes from China. And I was blown away. And this whole just-in-time delivery system that as you're grabbing the last loaf of Wonder Bread off the shelf at your grocery store, a truck is pulling around back and dropping off a new load. Nobody nobody stores anything on site anymore. So it's all logistics and just-in-time delivery. And COVID completely upended that. And we're still feeling the effects, right? Supply chain issues and that kind of a thing. So the United States is the world's oldest democracy, but India is its biggest. And it's such a natural partner for us. And when India went to war with China, uh, you know, we, we we did not take India's side. Uh, we, uh, we that happened. Russia really had uh, made a, a lot of inroads with India uh, after I think it was forty seven when when India gained its independence, nineteen forty seven. Uh, so they the Indians have uh, Russian missile systems and MIGs and things like this, and it makes sense for the United States, particularly with everything that's going on with Russia and Ukraine now, for us to try to draw India close to us. They are a natural partner, a natural ally for, for, for the United States. And uh, China's encroaching all around India, whether it's in Pakistan via the Belt and Road Initiative, whether it's through their naval uh, equivalent of the Belt and Road called the String of Pearls, where they're setting up basing and stuff in the Indian Ocean. So I, I thought, wow, a cool spy novel would take place in India and would have the U.S. trying to draw India into an Asian version of NATO and to put India at the center of that. It would drive the Chinese crazy. They would do anything they could to derail it. And I thought it would just be a really cool way to, that would be my big geopolitical set piece and be a lot of fun to set it in in India. But I really didn't know a lot about India. I had not traveled there. I had friends that had traveled there. I had friends that had worked there, whether it was embassy work or other kind of stuff for the U.S. government. So this happens. If I can't get to a location to do the research myself for one of my thrillers, I want to talk to somebody who is quote unquote operated there. I want somebody whose job it is to see and notice every single detail and to notice when something's off because either the mission depends on it or their life depends on it because you'll get really good color details from people whose job it is to pay attention to that stuff. And so uh, probably the hardest book I've ever written because it was just such foreign territory for me, but it was also foreign for Harvath. So kind of my learning about India, you could see Harvath doing that. 
And in fact, uh, I reached out to someone who is a diplomatic security service agent, a good buddy of mine, and Jack Carr's friends with him as well. His name is Fred Burton. Yes. And Fred has uh, yeah. written some great nonfiction, Ghost, Beirut Rules. He's and been on the I podcast. Said, oh, you guys have – okay. So you guys yep. know Fred. He's such a wonderful guy. And I said, Fred, you know, what would – if Harvath needed to go over to India and look into a kind of covert diplomat, a shadow diplomat that was trying to speak to Indian power brokers about getting involved in this Asian version of NATO, how's Harvath going to kind of convince the police to work with him? Is he going to have to go in and steal the file on the investigation or what's he going to do? And, and Fred told me, he said, no, at our major embassies around the world and even some of the less major ones – the, the embassy hires an old retired cop who's really well connected so that if there's an American tourist that has any problems over there or somebody at the embassy, you've got somebody that can kind of navigate that system. And so with VJ, uh, the Foreign Service National Slash Investigator is the technical term at the embassy forum. I wanted to create kind of that uh, Sean Connery cop in the untouchable with Kevin Costner, but with a little bit better sense of humor. Because Sean Connery had that sense of humor, but I wanted to give him a little bit more. And so I did an Indian version of that with, with Vijay uh, to be Harvath's kind of partner through the novel and to be his guide to India, right? Because right. Harvath didn't know anything about the country and Vijay steps him through. It's almost like Scott has to take a back seat. And like we've seen Scott as a detective before. Uh, obviously, you know, he's always trying Hidden to Order was name. a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and even all the way back to Lions, right? He's trying yeah. to, you know, discover this plot and obviously in State of the Union. But in those cases, he generally takes the lead or he's out on his own. But now he has to rely, you know, on this figure in Vijay. And I think he's one of your, I, I dare say, one of your best like side characters or, or, you know, ancillary characters. I don't know. I just really clicked with him and he, he just was oh, nice. very interesting to me. You know, and I thank you for that. I, I'm, I wanted to take a cop who was behind a desk and wanted to be right. back on the street and who was good on the street. Yes. You know, you don't lose those instincts. Somebody that's like, I don't have to color inside the lines. I don't give a damn. What are they going to do to me? I'm retired. They can't fire me. So that was kind of a fun thing with VJ is that, I, and, and I didn't know he was going to go there. I didn't know if he was going to be kind of resistant to Scott and be like, who's this American who thinks he can come over here and tell everybody what to do. But the more I got to know VJ as the author, I just fell in love with this guy because he was, he's been itching for an assignment like this. The embassy never gives him something this cool to do. And then it right. drops in his lap and he's going to make the most of it. And so he, VJ surprised me. I think out of all the characters in the book, I think VJ surprised me the most. Uh, and then uh, I don't want to give any spoilers. I know we're going to do some other stuff that'll air a little bit later, but I was also determined to really let the troll sink his teeth into some stuff in this one and tear off a piece of somebody's ass. That was kind of my plan for him. Pardon my French. Big fan of the troll here. Yes. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Thought that was a great decision to bring him in and push his story arc a little further. Yeah. And it pushed. Yeah. It was pushed. It was. You mentioned VJ and we talked about him already without saying too much, as you're right. We will reserve possibly the last few minutes of this podcast for some spoiler talk. But for mm -hmm. now, audience, you are in the clear. No spoilers. If you have not read <laughs> Rising Tiger comes out July 5th. If you're hearing this before the release date, put your pre-order in right now. Get oh, an e-copy, get an audiobook copy. You're going to want to hear Armand Schultz on July 5th. So put that in. But Vijay also adds the believability factor. One of our rankings when we review a book is the buy-in score. Chris and I each give the book a score on buy-in. And okay. the fact that Scott's in uncharted territory uh, in India, but he has these guides, I, I believe so much more that he'd be charging into some of these neighborhoods or tracking down this crime syndicate or going into this mm -hmm. martial arts dojo, you know, wherever they're going or invited to a family meal if he has really strong guides and both VJ and we'll save it for later, but Asha are those guides. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like you created them, but they also helped you tell the story. You know what? If I could, I'm going to step away just for fun to show you guys. I've got that. I've been saving these on my wall. I actually will, um, will do pictures of real life actors and actresses. Okay. 
that I put up on the that I put up on the wall. And so I did one of VJ and one of Asha, which unfortunately this is kind of not fair to the to the listeners. So this is this is a big Bollywood actor, and he starred. And don't ask me to repeat his name because I'm going to butcher it. He was in a great counterterrorism Bollywood movie called Bell Bottom. That was his code name. And uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It's a great movie. But this is who I pictured for BJ, right? Look at him. Oh, He's a awesome. badass with the and mustache. That nickname, and, that nickname yeah. fits with his musical choices. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And then this is Asha. And I actually talk about in the book, I use this actress's real name and say that she's – my character is always compared to her. And but So these have been up on my wall the entire time I've been wow. writing. And I just took these photos down to show you two. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it was it was a lot of fun, and that's how much I wanted to be. I wanted Indian, like people who live in India. Simon and Schuster sure. is going to publish the book in India. They're doing a big rollout of this, and I wanted Indian readers to say, "Wow, this American guy did a great job with portraying our country and the intelligence Diwali. services within India." Yeah. And, and Diwali, the, the big I loved, celebration. Yeah, the Diwali yep. celebration and the colors of the city, you know, the festival of color. I just brilliantly done. And the smells. There's Thank a kitchen you. scene there's or there's a meal yeah. scene. And I was just transported there. The sights, the smells, oh, the good. sound, and the texture. I think, you know, we're a few books into your writing, and I haven't felt this way since I was on the Alps skiing with Scott and the detective mm -hmm, or the, the uh, Secret one. Service uh, yeah. agents in in lions like this is visceral it there's texture to the the places and the people cool cool thank you so i get you just brought up uh lions so now you're at the 21st book what would you say has changed from book one to book 21 any big big changes in you know who you are obviously you've grown as a, as a, as a writer but what, what would you say is your, your the biggest change or the most beneficial change from this whole time i think my chapters are a lot shorter so I think if you look at any of the, particularly the first three books, Lines of Lucerne, Path the Assassin, State of the Union, um, I, my goal was always to have the books be as evergreen as possible, that you could read books now from 20 years ago and still have a great read, right? Like if you're on a ship somewhere or, you know, you're in some weird part of the world and somebody left a paperback behind in your hooch. And you can you can read it, and it's still going to be good, and it's still going to be enjoyable. The technology is not going to be that different, and that kind of stuff. But the chapter length, I think, is probably one of the biggest things because I realized that as we got more into the internet age and all that kind of stuff, that attention spans were kind of collapsing, right? So it Definitely. takes a lot of self discipline to finish a book, and so I think I probably do three chapters for me now, because I won't go past four pages on a, on a chapter. It's very rare that I ever do that. My goal is like three pages, maybe four. So you're looking at uh, my old style used to be 12, 14, maybe 15 pages in a chapter. Right. So now I've divided right. that into, into three chunks because um, people, they're pressed for time. They want to read something on the train or whatever. But what I find is, is that I keep people for just as long as I did before. Because like I said, they get to the end of the chapter, they want to read the next one, the next one. So even though they the chapter is equivalent of one chapter, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but I understand that, that my job first and foremost is to entertain people. That's really what my job is. I mean, it's, you know, toes in the sand, book in the hand. I want you to take it to the beach, take it to the lake this weekend and read it and have a really good white knuckle thrill ride and have a lot of fun. That's my job as an entertainer. Uh, the value add that I'm trying to bring to it is I'm not trying to teach you anything. I'm not trying to beat you over the head with anything. But a lot of people say when they close the book, they feel smarter. They've actually learned it's the faction again, the facts and the fiction where they close the book and like, wow, I didn't realize how much kind of sunk in. Now I know about this part of the world and I know why it's important. And I know why the United States should care about what's happening in India. And I didn't even know that was happening while I was reading the book. I just knew it was right. a really fun, exciting story. But now I feel like I know something more than when I started. Or it makes you want to then go look that up. Be like, you, you, you say a tidbit educate like, yourself. you know, yeah. you, and then it makes me want to educate myself. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's a Thorism. And that's probably people say they love to uh, to read with their laptops open because they want to right. Google stuff they see in the book. No, that can't be true. Or I want to know more about that. Uh, so, yeah. So that's another nice uh, kind of compliment that I get on the books. I see that as another Thorism. I would put that up there with the traveling, with the can't put it down. I think that's a hallmark of your writing. 
and on this podcast, we've commented that you are the master of a geopolitical thriller. Like no one, oh, no one you. can do it better. And it's amazing to watch people like Jack Carr also do that, who I know had your blessings, uh, getting some, some footholds in the industry. You feel like you're reading military history with him through this faction. I like that, that phrase you use. Yeah. And for you, it's almost less specific to Jack. It's the military is that's his, his knowledge base. But yeah, for you, it's geopolitics. Yeah. And I'm a geography teacher, a middle school teacher oh, in wow. Washington, D.C. And some of the things I read are the topics we're researching. I'm trying to get young people interested in. And when they grow up, let's say in high school, I mean, if I taught high school, I'd be recommending your books all the time to some of my <laughs> seniors. <you>. But, um, <laughs> you know, I then go into my lessons and try to find out like the Belt and Road Initiative, like yeah. the way China is expanding their hegemony across the Indian mm-hmm. and Pacific Oceans. I'm really curious about some of the straits, like the Strait of Malacca yes. carries, yep. what, 80% of the world's goods and commerce. So I think you're the master of that. Well, thank you. And as the geography teacher, when you get to Black Ice, which is last summer's book, yes. it was all about how the Chinese were trying to work with the Russians to go yeah, right. uh, via the Northern Sea Route over the top of Russia because it cut down on the amount of shipping time to get from Shanghai to like Rotterdam. And it avoided a lot of those straits, Mike, that you were talking about that could serve as choke points if the United States ever wanted to impede the flow of China's products. Because China, basically, there's not a lot that's done in China, except they mine rare earth minerals. It's like a lot of stuff comes into China and a lot of stuff goes out of China. And they depend on the shipping. So they're very vulnerable in those straits. That's their perception. And the other really quick thing about China is they built this big pipeline from up in the Arctic all the way into China. And they said that they like it because there are two organizations that they don't care for that can't interdict that gas pipeline, the U.S. Treasury Treasury Department and the U.S. Navy. Mm. Well, I didn't know that, it, that yeah. when you did black ice, I wish, you know, we had a whole nother hour to get into that <laughs> just <laughs> on the golf course today, actually with a fellow geography teacher that came up because we were reminiscing just something about the ever givens crashed in the Suez. And I said, holy smokes, I'm mm-hmm. reading this book about China trying to strangle India and strangle Southern Asia. What if Malacca was closed? What if another tragedy in the yeah. Suez happens? What if they attack the Panama Canal? The Arctic yep. becomes the main waterway. And that's Russian dominated, Russian Chinese influence. So it would be an Eastern Hemisphere, Western Hemisphere kind of game and black ice, you yeah. cover it. So, yeah. And now while we're yeah, in we... research, I do want yeah. to ask you, I heard a fantastic story of how you learned first about the conflict in Kashmir, the region between India and China in the Himalayas. You actually spoke to a national security advisor, the NSA in the Trump administration. I love that story. So you, uh, yeah, it's it, it's 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 a it's a very interesting story. So uh, when I was in college, I went to the University of Southern California. I went in as a business administration major, and then changed to creative writing and film and television production. And I lived in a building, so I worked when I was in college. I leased apartments, is what I did, and then I got discounted rent in one of the apartments in this beautiful brand new building in LA. And one of my neighbors was a fabulous guy named Robert O'Brien. And uh, Robert was an attorney. He'd been a, I believe Robert had been a JAG attorney. And he was in private practice. He was out of the military. And uh, the Rodney King riots happened. And so we had a health food store in the ground floor of our apartment building. And we were worried because all of the shops in our part of the fires and the looting was getting closer and closer and closer. They got two blocks down the street from us at a place called Sammy's Cameras. And we were worried that it, it just looks like a grocery store. I mean, there's nothing to steal, but they're not there to steal health food. They're there to hit the, the, the registers and see if there's any cash. And is there any right. liquor in store? So we, we got all the residents together to kind of post watches up on the roof. And one of the people up there was Robert O'Brien. And I got to chatting with him and he's just this nice guy and blah, 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 blah. And we became friends. And fast forward years later, Robert would end up becoming the national security advisor under the Trump administration. So we've been friends since I was back in college. And um, when I, he asked me what I was doing for this summer's book, and I said, well, I'm really interested in this stuff that happened uh, between China and India and India's role in, uh, in that region and why the U.S. should formalize an alliance with them and get closer with India. And he goes, well, let me tell you all this behind the scenes stuff. He said, you know, we donated all of this cold weather gear after the Chinese attacked the Indians in the Himalayas so that the Indians could give the Chinese 
two big middle fingers and say, try it again. We're not leaving. You're not going to be able to sneak down back in here over the winter thinking we're going to leave because it's too cold. We're staying. We're going to overwinter is the term. So all this really cool stuff I got from from Robert, you know, my guys are really good. They don't give me any classified stuff because I don't have a top secret clearance, so they can't. But there is stuff that, for whatever reason, doesn't make it into the press or was kind of an aside at uh, at a meeting or whatever. So I got I got read in on a lot of cool stuff with the Chinese in India, and uh, I, I pride myself on having a really good network because I think those details make the books even better. And so for me as the author, the hardest part is what to leave out because I get all these really cool tidbits, but I'm not writing a training manual. This I'm not teaching you how to be a spy or how to be a diplomat. Right. I, I want to give you a great thrill ride and show you some of the stuff that no other authors are showing you about these, these worlds. But that's always, Elmore Leonard was famous for two things he would tell young writers. Never start with the weather. It was a dark and stormy night mm. and leave out the parts that people skip, <laughs> right, <laughs> which is right. great advice. Have you ever had to take something out of your novel or been asked to, you know, or yeah. thought that, oh, yeah. I, I can't, I can't do that. I've had it happen. So anybody that works with me on the book, I let them see it before it goes to the publisher. And I have had people come back to me and say, okay, listen, Brad, we talked about A and we talked about C and what you wrote for B has got to come out of the book. I'm like, did I get mm -hmm. it right? <laughs> B has to come out of the book. I'm like, I got okay. it right, Brad. Right. I'm going to tell you one last time. B, out of the book. And I'm like, okay, B's out of the book. And I had one thing happen on uh, my novel, Full Black, where I had to go back. And this guy said, you don't have to pull it, it out, but you have to change it. Thank you. And I did it, and I changed it like 10 times. And like on the 10th <laughs> time, I'm like, is it finally good now? And he goes, okay, that's acceptable. And I said, okay, so I'm not revealing anything. He goes, no. You may be revealing something, but at least it won't track back to me. Right. That's what my source said. He wasn't going to get nailed for being the guy that gave me the piece. I'm like, come on. I can't put these like, I'm just teasing you. No, you got it. It's good. It's not going to harm, you know, sources or methods or anything like that. So, but that's kind of the, the social contract, if you will, with sure. people who are willing to help exactly. you. I'm an American first and foremost. I don't want to harm our ability to do anything. I don't want to reveal anything I shouldn't, even if I guess at it and I'm right. Yeah. I don't want to put that in one of the books. So I always work to take the stuff out if yeah, they want definitely. it out. And is some of that from your sources, of course, but is some of that also your work on the Red Cell teams and when you were brought in to have more imagination in our national defense plans? So the analytic red cell unit, I say, is the Las Vegas of government programs. What happens in the red cell <laughs> stays in the red cell. They were very, the very clear. Yeah, when I got brought in to help the government dream up terrorist scenarios and to kind of look at what uh, things might be targets, both in the United States and abroad, they were very clear. They said, listen, none of what we talk about here can you ever repeat, nor can it show up in any of your books. And then, so I came up with a what I thought was a really good, really bad, uh, but a high likelihood of potential for an attack, uh, a method of an attack. And it happened. And it happened somewhere in the world. And so I went back to, to my people at the Red Cell and I said, listen, it's all over the news. Can I go out? I'm on the news all the time. Can I go out and say this is something that we discussed? And I even, I was the guy in the Red Cell that said we should be looking at this. And they said, no, we don't discuss stuff even if, even, even if it happens. We don't want the bad guys to know we saw that coming. And I've got to guess too that they probably don't want the liability of, okay, so wait a second, the American government knew this was a potential. Did you guys right. do any, you know, right. there's the there whole lawsuit potential yep. and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, they were very clear. They're like, listen, we just don't talk about anything that happens in the red cell. You're here to help us outthink the bad guys and let's just stay focused with that. Don't talk about fight club. <laughs> right. That's the first rule. You don't talk about fight club. That's, that's exactly it. Yeah. You know, on that though, and in, maybe this is just in your personal opinion, you could bring in your research, but we asked Kyle Mills this when he wrote Total Power, because man, that book really scared a lot of people about our critical mm -hmm. infrastructure and mm -hmm. a potential attack on the grid. And thank God we have Mitch Rapp and I certainly hope we have a Scott Harveth. But according to you, being a very intelligent, well-traveled uh, master of geopolitics, what what is the biggest threat? facing America. And I mean that twofold. It could be direct safety if you feel there is a direct attack mm -hmm. about, you know, our livelihood, 
but also just based on our dominance and superiority in in that realm. Uh, w- what is our biggest threat in both those areas? So my so my answer our our biggest weakness, our biggest threat national security wise is social media. I mm. really do believe that. I think Putin and the Chinese have uh, they are loving where we're at right now, at each other's throats, extremely tribal. Uh, you know, we don't even compromise now. It's not like when Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill would sit down and have, you know, a couple of whiskeys together and be able to figure stuff out. So it's all about, we've got politicians now that are, it's all culture war stuff, right? It's about getting your base angry so that they'll show up at the polls and vote for you because it's a vote against the other guy and they'll send in their $25 or whatever. And the big, the big problem I have with social media, not only does it drive that stuff, but we become, our, our shields go down as individuals. Our, our defenses drop because if you participate in Facebook pages, for example, okay, and you're on a Facebook page with people who think and see the world the way that you do, you're in, a, I'm going to use a term, safe space. You're in a space that you feel comfortable. All these people think the way you do, so you think everybody's of like mind. That is one of the first places that foreign intelligence propagandists go to influence you because your defenses aren't up. You're not skeptical about stuff you're reading there. You believe that everything you're seeing from kind of your fellow like-minded people, uh, that this stuff is believable and it's true. And it is one of the places that foreign intelligence services manipulate the American public. So while there are issues like uh, hardening critical infrastructure against EMP and things like that, and I'm concerned about, you know, we don't use pen and paper anymore. Everything is done via computer and the web. And, uh, you know, if we lost the electrical grids like Kyle did with Total Power and things like that, particularly if it was done before we could get the crops out of the ground. I mean, like I was joking around about the Wonder Bread, that's not really a joke. I mean, supply (laughs) chain stuff is very serious. If you put a shock in the supply chain, Um, look at the baby formula, right? Right. Yeah. That's a perfect recent example of how delicate this stuff is. So uh, that would be like, if you're looking for a terrorist attack or, uh, like if a, if something is going to be targeted for an attack, I, I would say I'm worried about the electrical grid and the internet, that kind of stuff. But I think we're doing more damage to ourselves via the tribalism and social media and people being manipulated. In fact, there was a whole thing a couple of years ago about how the Russians picked a county, I think in Washington, and they were doing this whole before COVID. So they were doing a whole vaccination causes autism for sure, Mm. like black and white stuff, like really trying to manipulate people in this in this county in Washington into distrusting everything. So it's the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, all this kind of stuff. And what they saw, what the United States government saw was that there really was a drop in parents bringing their kids in for vaccination in this particular part of Washington. It was a very successful thing by the Russians. And uh, something else I did in full black, there was a real life white paper done by two Chinese colonels in the PLA And they had a book, uh, the white paper was turned into a book, and it was called Unrestricted Warfare. And the Chinese realized that they could never defeat America on the conventional battlefield. And so they said, how do we take things that Americans don't see as a threat and weaponize them against Americans? So that's how can we take the power grid? You saw what happened in Texas several years ago when they had all the ice storms come through and they lost power. So the Chinese are looking at things that you and I normally wouldn't see as a potential threat and trying to figure out how they could weaponize. Yeah. I mean, it's at least I I don't even know that my kids any longer have my phone number memorized. If their phones went down uh, while they're at college, I don't know that they'd be able to if the Internet went down and their phones went down, they wouldn't they, they don't know what the landline number is at home. Or even if you have one, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you, I guess this is a side tangent and you don't have to spend much time on this, but how do you navigate that where you're in a business uh, where social media and Facebook pages and obviously your your marketing team have to be, you know, full-fledged into this. But like I find myself, especially with the podcast, I find myself like I have to pose for the pod, but I also just don't want to be on it. Uh, luckily, our, yeah. at least within this thriller community, Mostly, it's it's pretty positive. I rarely see yes. any, any negative. It's not like Star Wars or Marvel. You know, no people are really kinda, really nice. Great. But yeah, how do how do you navigate that? So listen, the biggest problem you get is when you get people who are firearms enthusiasts like I am uh, that want to discuss nine millimeter versus forty five. 
So that's the biggest like hot button right. issue that I see on there. Readers tend to be really good people and they come from all walks of life. And I've always said that a love of reading is like a shared language where if you like books and somebody else likes books, you can talk about it. And when we get even tighter into a particular genre like thrillers, uh, you'll find that no matter who you're talking to, who's a thriller aficionado, if you talk long enough, you've both read the same book, at least one sure. book you've shared in common. So whether it's a, you know, it's one of Kyle's books, one of Jack's books, my books, Steve Barry, James Rollins. I mean, you can go down the list of, right, of really right. successful writers in the genre and you'll, you'll find a, a shared uh, love of stuff there. So, you know, what I do on social media is, so first of all, my news consumption is very wide. I subscribe because I want to. I want to keep places in business like the Wall Street Journal, uh, like ForeignPolicy.com. So I'm going to these places and I, I and I subscribe. I pay and, and I'm a customer because I want to get good quality journalism. They've got to support journalists around the world to get these stories. But I've got a lot of other places that if I listen to them here, you'd be like, oh wow, you're a subscriber there, there, there. I try to spread it really wide. Because if I'm, you know, I know that if I'm subscribing to eight places, I might get eight different takes on a certain news item. But then it's up to me after I've read it to, to kind of figure out where does the truth run through here. So I'm a voracious consumer of news. And I also think it's beneficial because I have lots of friends. They vote differently. They have different religions, things like this. So I'm not adverse to being exposed to different ideas and different points of view. And I think it makes me smarter. It makes me more worldly and wiser if I'm not just focusing, I'm only going to get my opinions from this spot. I actually think that's dangerous to get it from one place. So social, I don't really get any of my news from social media. I'm not on, like, if you look at my Twitter feed, it's only book stuff on Twitter and an sure. occasional yeah, yeah. joke. If I see somebody face plants, I think it's a funny something or whatever, I'll put it up there. But um, I, I'm much more engaged on Facebook. That's where I like to have conversations and stuff. And a big chunk of my audience is on Facebook. Um, and I may throw some stuff up. Uh, I just put up something today, very much in keeping with Rising Tiger, where uh, as we're recording this, uh, there is the big NATO meeting in Madrid and right. uh, President Biden just wrapped up. I think he was in Germany, maybe, and there were thunderstorms moving in. So he had a hot foot to the helicopter and now he's going to go to Madrid for the NATO stuff. But NATO just announced today that they're really paying close attention to China and they see it as a, an ongoing strategic problem. That's NATO. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization is looking at NATO as a big problem because of the Belt Road Initiative and other things like that. And would they ever come up over Russia and drop naval vessels on the East Coast of the United States? So like I posted that today and said straight out of Rising Tiger. So that's about as political or whatever as I want to get, because my job is not to, I'm not in the statement business. I'm in the thriller business. I, you know, so if I see something that ties in with one of the books, I'll put that up there and readers tend to like that. But other than that, it's not my job to tell you how to vote, how to think, you know, how to raise your kids, uh, how to exercise, how to eat. That's none of my business. I'm the entertainer. It's just, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. And I think that's part of my maturing as an author, where before I might have been a little bit more politically engaged. Um, I, I just, I, I want people from, I always joke around and say, you'd be an idiot to open a restaurant, a delicatessen, and hang a sign on the door that says, everyone welcome except for this group, this group, and this group. You're an idiot. Sure. A, you shouldn't exclude anyone. And B, you're, you're cutting off your nose despite your face. You're going to lose money. And why wouldn't you want people who just like good food to be in your restaurant. And that's kind of how I look at books. I, people who love a good thrill, you're all welcome. And uh, I hope to entertain you because at the end of the day, I don't work for Simon & Schuster. I work for the readers. They're right. the ones that pay me. They are my employers when they go to Happy Amazon to so. or Goodreads. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. That's my performance review. When they go leave those stars is. every year, that's my annual performance review and I want them happy. Or they make a podcast well, about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 that too. Thank you. Well, speaking of entertainment, I think Mike was telling me that you you had mentioned something about you having Hollywood on your mind. Is you know, are there anything in the works with uh, you know maybe Lions or some other Scott Harvest story? And the credits. So I've got. I, I I was happy to hear in the credits you dropped Hollywood twice. Yeah, yeah. You saw I did something for my entertainment attorney. Yeah. You know what, Mike? It's so funny because when my dad read the book, my dad called me. My dad's like, I loved it. It was awesome. And he goes, so tell me about 
the first to last credit to your entertainment attorney. What's all this <laughs> yeah, stuff about? Yes. You got some big announcements coming. So, you know, I want to I want to be careful because sure, of course. I, I joke that in a land in a city like LA filled with beautiful people, I've kissed every frog in that town. I've mm. had so many options and I haven't been to law school, but my friends who are attorneys tell me that one of the things they teach you in law school is sometimes the best deal is the deal you don't make or the deal that doesn't get consummated. So I've been to the altar so many times. I could write a whole book about all the twists and turns in Hollywood. So we've got a deal right now that's at a studio. We've got, in my opinion, we have the best, not in my opinion. If I told you guys who our director is, you'd lose your mind. You'd be like, oh my God, that guy is the best. There is no better uh, action director than him. Uh, you, oh, He's I fantastic. Love it. I've got the executive producers that put it together are freaking fantastic. The showrunner yes. is fantastic. And they're even talking about doing this as a hybrid of like TV then do a movie, then do another season of TV, something that hasn't been done before. So they want to do okay. TV and movies wow. for Harvard. So there's all this really cool stuff. And I told these guys, I said, listen, I'm going to be doing stuff like this podcast. I said, the book comes out July 5th. You guys need to release me to be able to tell everybody who the players are. I said, I don't want to go into the promotion of Rising Tiger. And, I, and here we are. I am yeah. under an NDA. I can't give you the name of the director. And I guarantee you've seen the executive producers' movies. You will, like, you'll freak out on the director. And then the showrunner, you'll lose your mind. You'll be like, I've seen every single TV episode that this guy has done. Just, visa, just by the fact that you guys are thriller fans, I guarantee the minute I tell you, you've got, oh my God, that's the guy yeah. that's in charge of assembling the shows. So it's great. But it could all blow up tomorrow. I've been down. I've been left at the altar so many times because there's a shakeup at the. Yeah. It, 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 it is no reflection on the strength of the Scott Harvath books. Sure, it is no, you. I, it's like the freaking Serengeti in Los Angeles. So you know you have executive. You have a big executive that leaves, and it's like the lion getting killed, and a new lion comes in with the lionesses and kills all the cubs. Right? Yeah, they want it. That <laughs> he way. wipes it clean yeah. and wants his own DNA in this pride of lions and that happens all the time in hollywood so okay. my so entertainment we'll attorney mike yeah he's so scotty my entertainment attorney has said listen everything that we had thought was going to happen every screenplay that got written where we're like this is the one he said all of that angst is so worth it for the team that we have assembled now it's sure. going to be okay. massive i mean these guys are actually talking in la that they want the budgets and the scope of this thing to rival bond now, I say that right now, knowing that, so as we're recording this, Jack Carr's series is coming out on Amazon yeah, Prime we Friday me. night, July right. 1st. And then uh, Mark Greeny's uh, movie comes out with The Gray Man, which is the largest budget in Netflix history, comes out July 15th. July 15th in theaters, July 22nd streaming. Mark Greeny, you can mail the check to Brad Thor, care of Simon & Schuster. <laughs> uh, and Mark's a buddy of mine. He lives here in Tennessee. so I'm I'm thrilled for both of them it's it, a rising tide lifts all boats it's great for our genre yes, you know yes. that this is happening I, I couldn't be happier for those guys and they're just you guys have you have you done mark before have you ever had mark on the show no but we're gonna, we're gonna try to get him soon our third season so the scott harvath podcast is season two but we're running that at the same time as our third season which is where we're okay. branching out so right now we're covering all of jack carr's books and we're gotcha. going to do the tv show as well and we're saving July and August to cover at least the first Gray Man book, have Mark Rainey on, we hope, and then also cover the movie. So that is definitely coming on our season three, which is just No Limits, the thriller podcast. That's that's awesome that you guys are branching out. And you will love Mark Rainey. And so for me, knowing Jack Carr and being friends with him, knowing Mark Rainey and being friends with him, uh, you couldn't you couldn't ask to be friends with nicer guys than those two. I mean, they're really, really super guys. So when they do well, when you see nice, talented people do well, you're happy for them. And yes, so right. it's awesome. And it's great for all of us that love thrillers. I was a thriller reader before I ever became a thriller writer. So I can't wait to watch Terminal List on Amazon Prime and watch The Gray Man on Netflix. I mean, that's I'm excited. And I was excited when Tom Cruise, even though he wasn't six foot five, did Reacher because, you know, it's an iconic character. 
And now that they've recast it on Amazon, I believe it's Amazon, yeah. right? I thought that yeah, series I, was good. Yeah, awesome It's series. fantastic. And I'll drop one more that's based on a book. If you guys haven't watched The Old Man on FX with Jeff Bridges. Oh, very it, good. Very good. Oh, yeah, I need to. I heard. It's so good. Oh, Mike, Mike, you got to watch that. I know. I it's heard. really good. It's really yeah, good. I need to. So when you see authors in the genre putting stuff out, you've got a choice. You can either be jealous and say, why not me? Or you can say, you know what? Good for them. Good for them and good for those of us who love thrillers. You know, you can either look at it as a win. and I look at it as a win. You know, none of these guys are competition for me. There's 365 days in a year. You can read a ton of books in a year. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. so you want, I want people reading thrillers. I don't want them going off for Danielle Steele books. I want to keep yeah. them in the fold. You know, on social media, the number one comments that get a host of threads is, I just finished all the Vince Flynn books. What's next? And you get... Fans mm. just giving 50, 100 different names. Suggestions. You know, oh, I just yeah. I just read all the Brad Thor books. What should I do next? So it, it rises. There's a lot of overlap. Yep. Yeah. And particularly between me and Vince uh, and now Kyle. And I don't know if Kyle told you that Kyle and I were friends before I ever became an author. I knew Kyle. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if he brought that yeah, up he, in, he mentioned that, in your yeah. interview. Yeah. So his dad was in the FBI and my godfather. And that's how I met Kyle was through my, my godfather. He's one of my dad's dearest friends forever. And, uh, you know, his Kyle's dad was buddies with Clancy. I don't know if he told you that because uh, his dad was the FBI legal attache to the U.S. Embassy right. in London and got to know Clancy during Patriot Games and all this kind of stuff. And small world back to Kyle. Uh, so his dad helped Clancy with Patriot Games and stuff. And I was a student at USC. And I got to be part of the test, uh, part of a test audience for Patriot Games, where I got asked to come in with a group to watch Patriot Games before it was released, because they used to post at USC for people to come in and watch rough cuts and things like this, and then to fill out uh, what I thought. And they ended up changing the ending. So the original ending that I saw, and don't ask me what it was, because now I've seen it so many times as a finished sure. film. But I do remember saying I didn't like the ending for X, Y, and Z. And it wasn't just because I said that. Other people would have had to have said it too, but they changed it. So it's kind of a you know two degrees of separation thing. Well, right. when you do that for your uh, TV and movie series, you know you got two pre-watchers right here happy to uh, see There you first. go. We'll have you guys come out. We'll screen yeah. it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. A couple more questions here. Sure. Not that we want to, you know, we're not thinking about the end of, of Scott Harvath, but, you know, we were just talking about this the other day. Do you ever come a time where you, you know, either are bored of these stories or you, you want to do something else? I, you know, you, I, well, you did the one year where you did the, the Athena, Athena project, project and yeah. you had a, a Scott book. Uh, do, can we expect to see more of those? Or do you have time to do that kind of stuff? You know, or is there an exit strategy for Scott? No. So there's no exit strategy. And I, I have an idea for an Athena book. It's just, it was, it's really hard to write a high quality book once a year to, sure. to come up with a plot that I'm nobody's a lot done. Of you, so. Yeah, no, I mean, so it's really, it, it's really hard. Like as we sit here right now, I've got like a million like threads I'm pulling on. I don't know what next summer's book is going to be yet. And, uh, you know, it's interesting just to, pull back the curtain a little bit. Retailers now want next summer's book fast. So it's like we joke around that oh, Christmas wow. comes earlier and earlier every year. They don't yeah. need a finished book, but what they need is they need a title. They want the, the, the book art, the cover art, the jacket, and they want a description because they want to put it online and start taking pre-orders now. And so it's really, so the pressure on the publisher and then the publisher turns around to speak with their author is we need, okay, what's next year's going to be? So I used to have more breathing room to kind of let things happen a, a lot more organically to let ideas bubble up and stuff. But now I'm having my editor come to me and say, okay, uh, I need you to block out nice. Friday afternoon. You and I are going to war game this and really start to drill down on what next summer's book is going to be. So that's a little bit of a change in the business. And you can either be ticked off about it or whatever. It, it, it is what it is. I'm a big believer in kind of stoic wisdom where, all right, can I change that? No. So I've just got to roll with it. So it is, it's up to me how I react to it. And so what I look at it as is, okay, I'm going to sit down with my editor and we're going to figure this out because this is what the marketplace is asking of me. And 
what good does it do for me to go kicking and screaming? I, it's just the way it is. You know, Christmas is coming earlier every year and you've got to roll with it. And this is the cycle that I'm in. So it is a little bit more stressful for me in that I feel like right now, like today, when I had breaks between interviews and stuff, I'm reading articles, trying to come up with next summer's idea. I'm trying to look at, and plus what I do is I'm trying to look over the horizon and pick something that people will be talking about. And like I said, I do the books so they're evergreen. So they're still going to be good years from now, but I'd like to have something that's topical and in the news and be the first person to write about it. So there's a lot that kind of goes into in my kitchen. There's a lot of different tools I work with and ingredients I work with to come up with the ideas. I think something that definitely lends to your writing style and that kind of new wave in these timelines is they are standalone books. You can pick up any Brad Thor novel and absolutely love it. And of course, there's a deeper history if you've been with Scott for however many books, but you could still read it as a standalone. And then it also has a wider arc. So I feel like it kind of allows you to plug and play these topical themes a bit easier. And then it also, you knock it out of the park when they do link together, like Spymaster to Backlash. I almost felt like it was a yeah. continuation. And then I would also say to Chris's question, I feel like those two ushered in a new chapter in, in Scott's life. He's almost on that next phase. And so I interpreted, Chris, your question less of an exit strategy of Scott going away, but he's already been asked, small spoiler, to test the Carlton group. And instead, right. I loved how we yeah. came up with Gary Lawler for that. So it's already <laughs> hinting that there's a next phase we have to move into. And in this book, there's a lot of hints about that. So real quick, because we were talking about Kyle Mills and Kyle's dad and my godfather. So Gary Lawler is based on my godfather from the FBI. Oh, I was going to ask you that question. It was like best buddies with oh, Kyle's dad. Okay. So we have this whole kind of family relationship with Kyle's family and stuff. So that's and So he keeps bugging me. He's retired, long retired from the FBI. And he's like, when's Gary Lawler coming back? We you love know? Gary. So, yeah. So I brought that character back because it's based on him and he was bugging me. So I brought him back because – Harvath is like a lot of guys that I know that are in their 40s that still want to go out and kick indoors and shoot bad guys in the head. They don't want to stop. They do not. If you put them on a desk, these guys could be choking on you know, a heart attack like a lot of cops do. I, this is very typical in law enforcement that when cops retire, you do see kind of a rise in, in illness and heart attacks and things like this. There's something about climbing on stepping off the field and you wouldn't think that you would think your life becomes less intense your body can relax but there is a weird thing that happens so uh Harvath is very much mimicking some uh, a handful of people that I know that are still out there doing a great job but they are looking for cheats and shortcuts because there is no ban against performance enhancing substances in the intelligence community and uh, you know if you're going out chasing bad guys and uh, and a blast of steroids you know, a couple times a week or however often you're taking it, uh, you know, it, whatever it is, human growth hormone. Uh, I know a lot of guys that are sticking themselves with needles and God bless them. If that makes you faster and you can punch harder and stay up longer to go get the bad guys. Great. I'm all for it. All for it. So you mentioned covers and having to have them right away. We, we love a good cover on the spot. And I have to say, those of you who can't, can't see this, uh, Go look up Rising Tigers cover. Amazing cover. So do you have, uh, obviously you, you chose this, but like how much input do you have on choosing uh, the cover and, and it's say? Okay. So I'm thrilled you asked that question because we did it different this year. Oh, so okay. this year I actually asked to not have the art director show me ideas, but for us to talk from the okay. beginning. You know, instead of me writing down, here's what the books are. I said, we're doing everything via Zoom. Can we do a Zoom edit with my editor and with the art director? And so we did. And Jimmy uh, is just, he's an amazing talent. And I said, Jimmy, listen, here's what I would love to do. I said, I found these incredible brass doors on the city palace of Jaipur. And right. you gentlemen have the advanced review copy. But when you see the hard copy, it's actually embossed. And when you run your fingers over the doors in the oh, background, cool. it's like touching yes. the doors in India themselves. Oh, and where really the, cool. except where the tiger's head is there. 
in, if you touch inside the tiger head on the hardcover, you lose the bumpiness or the engraving of the brass doors. And it's this weird, different sensation, this flat, almost sticky material. So there's a very kind of, I don't know, I, I'm, it's an experience touching the hardcover, which is really, really cool. So I, so I really appreciate you asking, Chris. We did it different this year, and I got to work from from the get-go, from square one with the art director, and I love this cover. And I haven't done it. I can't a red wait cover. to get my hard copy. Oh, yeah. I yeah. can't wait now. Yeah, it's very cool. We call the segment on the show Judge a Cover by its book. And mm. if I'm judging this one, if I didn't even read it and I saw this, I'm picking it up. I just, the oh, two-tone, awesome. the colors. And then I thought the door might have just been a cool design. And then once I hear at the very end that these were the Jaipur gates, which is a big part yeah. of the story, it added so many layers to it. And and I can't wait to hold that hardcover. It, and then it almost, it creates a feeling of energy because the tiger looks as if it's ripped, almost pulling off a layer or peeling off of the door. It's creating this tension that definitely mimics the action in the story. I, I almost at first didn't think it was a tiger. My first reaction was it's just an explosion or a peeling off. Uh, mm -hmm. Something energetic here is going on. And then when you see the tiger, it just adds such another layer to it. So to know that that texture yeah, is built cool. into it, I, I just on our judging a cover by the book, uh, this one is going to get a, a 10 out of 10 for me. Awesome. Wow. Thank I, you. The other cover I love, you mentioned it twice, was full black. I might say that is my favorite cover, definitely in the Scott Harvath series and quite possibly top covers of all time. Oh, wow. I And you know what? Thank you, Mike, because that actually marked a departure from us. That's when we went to what we called the stencil look, where mm. you had the title in my name but it was cut out and there was an image behind it. And so full black, that was the first time uh, we had done that sense of look. And I'm, I'm looking at, so the, the great thing is, is that being in my office, I've obviously got all the hard covers and stuff. And unfortunately, play -by -play none of the too. listeners are going to, but this was, I mean, that was just so cool to put the guy yes. behind. And then th that figure did not have a rifle originally. And I'm like, let's put a rifle in there just to add a little jeopardy. Good but choice. yeah, I'm really proud of that, of the full black cover. That was really cool. Love we'll so have to break these, uh, these videos out, Mike. <laughs> yeah yeah we might have to drop some video clips with your permission um of these me walking around all yeah. yeah pouring the bourbon you know that would probably get more hits than the entire interview but uh, <laughs> 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 well we've already taken up an hour of your time we appreciate you spending it with us but i absolutely can't let you go because i have one more question ever since finishing this book it's probably the most important question i need your opinion on Okay. Is Earth, Wind, and Fire an R&B band or funk? Oh, you know what? <laughs> it, it, so that's a really great question because that was the ongoing back and forth between Harvath and VJ. Every single one of the bands that they fought over has been classified as R&B and as funk. So they do a combination of both. So I would say Earth, Wind, and Fire is, is definitely both, and they do both very well. And there's only a handful of bands that can do both very very well, and Earth, Wind, and Fire is both. So I'm going to split the baby there, and I'm going <laughs> to say they're, they're, they're both. But I'm glad you keyed in on that uh, ongoing kind of jokey, fun uh, discussion between VJ and Harvath. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, if you don't mind, if we could keep you for five or 10 minutes here, maximum, sure. we promise. We do want to have a spoiler section where we spoil the All book. Right. What a great podcast, guys. I, I don't know. I, I came out of that out of that interview just like high on life. I don't know. Just a Cloud excellent nine. conversation. You know, I, I want to actually go in, and drink a bourbon in real life with Brad. You know, I oh, feel absolutely. like just talk he could just talk you know like just like he said with his books i came away from that conversation educated you know knowledgeable faction can you imagine having him as a professor in college i would oh, just want him professor. to lecture I, I would want him to lecture for hours a week and i would just sit there absorbing it all it'd be fantastic yeah. whether it's on writing traveling history politics whatever he just needs to speak and i'll listen <laughs> He could write a travel blog and I would be his number one. You know, if it was on like Substack, you know, you had to subscribe, I'd be subscribing to that shit. And for me, a geopolitical blog 
of all these ideas that he categorizes about the world. That was so funny when you guys like, he said a book <laughs> and then you were like, I was going to ask you about this book. And then you you guys both said the title and it was like the same book. I was like, wow, you guys are the same person. Dude. That's so funny. Like when that moment happened, I was already riding a high. That just was like the universe aligning. I was talking about that book earlier in the day. It's one of the best geopolitical thrillers out there. And I put it in our notes to bring up to him that I wanted to talk about it. I That was just, I the stars were aligning right there. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we have a lot more content coming your way. Not only on this feed, we're going to be giving you our full review two parts of Rising Tiger coming out a couple of days after this pod drops, as well as, you know, you only got like part of their interview with, with Brad. We did a whole brief, you know, a 20 minute section talking spoilers. Uh, we wanted to do more stuff, but like, you know, we just we just got in, in, in the weeds talking about everything, uh, you know, Scott and Brad's life. So that'll be coming to you. If you haven't bought your copy of Rising Tiger, go out, get it. It's very good. Highly recommend it. Uh, and then come back and listen to those three pods, and you'll you'll have some a companion to your read along. Not only do we have that coming your way, but on our other feed, the No Limits Thriller Podcast, we already did Jack Carr two well two of his books. We're going to be reviewing in two part episodes or two episode two episodes of the TV show per our podcast episodes. Uh, the TV show is coming out. It already it already dropped since you've listened to this. Uh, when you're listening to this uh so make sure you go watch those then come find us and we're going to dig deep into the tv show as well we have some other great interviews on your way right mike dude we've got a big one on our first season for all you ogs of the no limits podcast go head over to the mitch rap podcast season one i put out a little teaser announcing who our special guest is in just a week or so so yes, the Mitrap podcast is alive. When Oath of Loyalty drops and the ambassadors get their arcs, we will definitely resurrect and bring back the Mitrap podcast. But as a little interlude, we've got the best audiobook narrator in the business. Head on over to the Mitrap podcast to find out who that is and listen to our interview when he comes on. Oh yeah, and we're having Jack Carr on the pod as well. And Jack so. Carr will be on season 3. Yeah, the Thriller podcast. This is all thanks to David. We've said it before, but shout out to the the mystery bus, David Brown at Simon & Schuster. He is an absolute legend of a publicist. Yes, yes. All right, we also have to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Insta at thrillerpodcast. And as always, travel heavy. And when you drink, drink Pappy. But if you can't, Woodford will do. And just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Brad Thor, Scott Harvath, or Simon & Schuster. The music soundtrack is Honor Bound by Brian Teo.